Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. folks welcome back to mike and maurice's mind escape we have episode number 207 today uh we are joined again by avi Loeb. uh he, he has a new initiative it's called the galileo project which we are going to be talking about today um he is also the frank baird professor of science and harvard astronomy De- uh, department director um he's also part of the black hole initiative harvard uh faculty of arts and science you know he list goes on the guy's very well uh, accredited, and we're happy to have him back on. And also, he's an author. We just had him on last time when we discussed uh, Extraterrestrial, which is his book to, regarding Amuamua and possible remnants of extraterrestrial civilizations and life out there. Uh, before we get started, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast For just $2 a month, you'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. We do have actually a Patreon from the last time we had Avian, so if you're interested, go check that out. We talk about uh, UAP and UFOs. Um, and one more thing, head on over to indrasweb.org. This is the social media platform we created to connect open minds, whether it's, you know, this topic or other similar topics, it's a perfect place to theorize, speculate, hypothesize, all that great stuff. So, but without further ado, welcome back on the show, Avi. Thanks for having me. Uh, for joining us. Yeah, this is awesome. And, uh, I, I was just mentioning off air, uh, you're a man of your word because last time you were on, we were discussing all the UAP stuff and all the videos and uh, David Fravor's account and all the different stuff that was happening with the military. And you said, you know, well, why why don't we take a closer look? And that's exactly kind of what you're doing now with this Galileo project. So why don't you give us just a basic uh, summary of what you will be doing with the Galileo project? Right. So I should say, uh, actually, I kept my word on two other aspects. I was saying that the study of uh, objects that look weird, that might uh, uh, belong to an extraterrestrial civilization that sent them, um, that study by itself is of great uh, interest to the public. And I was arguing that it should be a mainstream in science because uh, it's a way of getting more funds to science if we address it scientifically, and moreover, attracting young talent to science. And uh, it was an abstract argument a few months ago, but uh, I can say that with great satisfaction that over the past week I demonstrated that because uh, I received donations totaling uh, close to $2 million over two weeks without fundraising whatsoever uh, from people that uh, read my book, uh, Extraterrestrial, that approached me and said, here is the money, no strings attached, and use it uh, for that purpose. Uh, And the the second thing that happened was once we announced the Galileo project, I had thousands of emails uh, over the past few days from people that are so excited about the initiative. They want to help contribute from their time and also uh, contribute financially. Um, And uh, so I I, I rest my case. Okay, the (laughs) the subject definitely is a a win win proposition uh, for science. And moreover, for humanity, you know, we want to know whether we are alone, 
uh, are there, is there a smarter kid on the block? And of course, we can argue that we are the smartest and nobody is out there by closing off our windows and never looking through our windows. But uh, that would not get rid of our neighbors. You see, if we have a smarter kid on the block, that smarter kid is there, right. <laughs> irrespective of whether we look through the window or not. So my point is simple. Let's just collect evidence. And uh, it's a fishing expedition. You don't know what you will find, what kind of fish you will catch. And so I was arguing that. And, and then, of course, the Pentagon uh, report came out um, a month ago. And um, and then uh, the head of NASA, Bill Nelson, was uh, making the case that scientists should look into the subject because it's intriguing. And uh, the government admits that there, uh, there seem to be real objects out there uh, in, in the sky that uh, whose nature is not understood. OK. And by the way, it's an admission in, in, in the failure of the intelligence uh, community because that's their job. They're getting paid to figure out what flies in our sky. You know, that could belong to an adversary, to another that's, nation. That's actually an interesting point. I wanted to ask you a question about that. So uh -huh. I want to get into like the instrumentation and what you're actually going to be doing with the sensory uh, sensor stuff. But before we get into that, if you find something with this project, do you have a duty to relay that information to the government, or is this something you can just make public without that intermediary? Or well, what we I will get to that. What we will do is collect open data, not not data that relies on government-owned sensors, which is often classified. The reason we don't see we just see the tip of the iceberg in terms of the data the government owns because it was collected by sensors that are classified. Right. You know, we don't want to let our adversaries know what we use in order to monitor our sky. And that's the reason why a lot of the data is classified. But if there is a scientific uh, experiment, just like in astronomy, you know, in astronomy, we have observatories looking at the sky. The sky is not classified and the data is collected and then published and it's open and anyone can analyze it. That's the way science is done. And that's the way we plan to conduct this research project. So what happened was, you know, Bill Nelson, the head of NASA said, yes, it's something that the scientists should look into. So I approached people under him and they didn't get back to me. And then fortunately, a week later, uh, some wealthy individuals approached me, people that I didn't know, mm. and they provided funds, at which point I said, now I can do it, let's just do it. You know, why do I need to rely on other people helping me if I have the money myself? I assembled a team of uh, exceptional scientists, mostly astronomers. And what we are planning to do is uh, construct telescope systems. And by that, I mean, we buy components that are off the shelf uh, of telescopes um, and then connected to cameras that are suitable. And, uh, and the data stream that will come from the cameras will be uh, going to computer systems that will f analyze it hmm. and filter out objects of interest and then uh, instruct the telescope to track objects of interest. So in a way, we are using telescopes, but very differently from astronomers. Astronomers look at very distant objects, okay? And, and if a bird flies above their telescope, they ignore it. If a bird flies above our telescopes, we will look at it. <laughs> we will monitor it to make sure that it's a bird, okay? Yeah, or and not a seagull. <laughs> so you can't say a that, you know, like some people say, what's new? You know, astronomers are using telescopes all the time. People are using iPhones. Well, first of all, iPhones 
are not suitable for this purpose. Well, they, they degrade when you zoom in like heavily too. The picture degrades like when you zoom in on an iPhone picture. Yeah. No, no, no. The, the problem with iPhones is simply that the aperture is just few millimeters. Mm. If you look at your iPhone, the camera has an aperture of a few millimeters. The resolution, the angular resolution that you get scales uh, inversely with the size of your aperture. So if instead of a few millimeters, you have something, you have a telescope that has a diameter of a meter, that's a thousand times bigger than a millimeter. So your resolution is a thousand times bigger. So what would appear as a megapixel image, a million pixels in a one meter diameter telescope would appear as a one pixel image in your iPhone. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes the, a lot of sense. So it looks like a point, a fuzzy dot on your iPhone. Whatever looks like a fuzzy dot would look like a megapixel image with that uh, kind of uh, telescope that, uh, you know, one meter in size. So the point is optics is really essential here. We can't use images that uh, citizens collect randomly uh, in their backyard. That's right. not scientific. And we can't use images collected by a camera installed in the cockpit of a fighter jet because the fighter jet is jittery. We don't know the trajectory of the fighter jet. We don't want to rely on eyewitness testimonies because humans have hallucinations. Humans, you know, despite their best, uh, you know, uh, uh, cognitive issues, cognitive bias, cognitive, you know, confirmation bias. All we have all sorts of biases. Yeah, Our memory's flawed. All that stuff. Right. A lot of psychological issues. You know, you can't write a scientific paper based on eyewitness testimonies. Even though in the courtroom, you know, if there, there is corroborating evidence by several eyewitnesses, you can put a person in jail. That's mm -hmm. acceptable in the legal system, but it's not acceptable in science. In science, you can't write a paper saying this fellow told me that and another fellow confirmed it. That's not scientific evidence. What you need is to collect quantitative data with instruments. OK, and that's the only thing that is acceptable by science. And so what we want is to use much better instruments than were used on Navy ships or, you know, on fighter jets. We don't want to rely on eyewitness testimonies. We want to have full control over the instruments we use. So two reasons for why not using government owned uh, sensors or not relying on military personnel. One is that we don't want to look at classified information so that it will not limit our freedom. You know, we want to speak freely about what we see we don't want to be engaged in some, you know, compromised uh, right. uh, position by the government. Second, the instruments that were used in some of these reports are not optimal. We want to do the best in terms of uh, we want to have full control over the instruments and use the best instrument. So the, the goal is to have a scientific expedition, you know, basically have a lot of such telescope systems distributed and, you know, the, the number of them depends on how much funding we have. Currently, you know, with $2 million, we can have 10 or maybe several tens of such telescope systems suitable. Um, but that will not give us a comprehensive study of the sky. What we need is a factor of 10 more. So if we had $10 million or more, that would allow us to uh, have a comprehensive study of this uh, problem. And we hope to get more funding but with the two million, we can already demonstrate that it works and that we can get valuable data. And that's what we plan to do. So we have 
you know, a team, a research team. Um, altogether, there are about 50 people already uh, within the Galileo project. Um, but um, uh, the, the core team, which is the research team, uh, has roughly a dozen people. And we are now working on, you know, defining the characteristics of the instruments that we want to use. And then uh, we will purchase them. I have the money. We can go ahead and do it. So we, we, we are hitting the ground running. It's not as if, you know, we, we have to wait for anyone. Yeah, and I have the link down below if anybody's interested and wants to check out the uh, page, the website, and look at the team and, you know, the goal and the mission and all that stuff. Um, I think when we were discussing last time, like there's some people that have this idea that these things, if they are from somewhere else, could be manipulating gravity. Is there any tool you could use that you know of to, to figure out, like to sensory stuff that you could use to see if there is something that's manipulating or using gravity in some weird way? Well, first I should mention that the people that make these statements are not scientists. No, of course. Okay. So in the context of physics, I'm speaking as a scientist, in the context of the, the standard model of physics, if you have a slight, minute, tiny deviation from the laws of physics as we know them, and by minute, tiny, what I mean is if the magnetic moment of a particle that has no relevance to anything that we encounter in our daily life called the muon, if the magnetic moment of the muon deviates by a tiny bit from a calculation done by computers that is uncertain by itself, and that deviation is not even verified as of yet, that made huge headlines which could earn the Nobel Prize for the people studying it. Just to give you an example. Right. So there are plenty of experiments checking the laws of physics as we know them. We are looking at the sky and many distant sources of light trying to see if the laws hold there. And any tiny little insignificant deviation from what we know would have earned the person that discovers it a Nobel Prize. So saying there are objects in our atmosphere that are manipulating space-time in some weird fashion, and that is the explanation for something that I've seen, just doesn't hold water because the laws of phys physics are being tested routinely in numerous contexts, including technology, including experiments in laboratories, including the universe at large. And if there was a tiny deviation from what we know, it would have a huge impact on our understanding of the universe. So my point is, Let's go more slowly. Okay, first of all, collect data about these objects. If they appear to be extraterrestrial, that would by itself be a huge revelation. Mm -hmm. But if on top of that you say, oh, there is an aspect of these objects that behaves differently than what we expect based on what we know about physics, that would be huge because it will affect the way we think about the universe. And what I'm saying is you can't, go to the second step lightly. I mean, of course, people that are not scientists can do anything. Yeah. They can talk, you know, they can even say that they are Napoleon. They say, I'm Napoleon. Now, if you ask them for their ID, it may say something else. <laughs> not okay. Napoleon. But, they, but anyone, <laughs> anyone can say anything. Yeah. My point is anyone can say anything. If they're not scientists, they're not familiar with how many different Experiments are being done all the time, continuously. And if there was any hint that the laws of physics are incomplete, that like we know something, 
First, it's a Nobel Prize. Second, you would think immediately about practical applications for technology. So, you know, you can't just say manipulating space-time, wormholes, all kinds of buzzwords that have no substantiation. You know, it's just like saying I'm Napoleon. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's the comparison I'm giving you. Yeah. No, I was just curious because uh, I don't I've never talked to an actual scientist about that. But, yeah, that is something that gets thrown a lot around out there. Um, yeah. And you mentioned the muon experiment from the large hydro, uh, hydron collider or no, not large. The, the other one. What's the one in Chicago? Yeah, the Fermilab yeah. from earlier this year. Um, so when you look at uh, this project and everything, you, you you know, it's not just the UAP stuff. It's also looking for stuff similar to a Muamua and, um, you know, near Earth objects or stuff coming from, you know, different parts of the galaxy or interstellar stuff. Um, what are you going to do for that? Is that are those telescope based experiments too? Or are you going to put satellites out there or what's going oh, on? It's with very them? simple. So in, in the context of Oumuamua, I should say a few weeks ago, there was a paper published in nature astronomy by a philosopher arguing why based on philosophical arguments, Oumuamua could not have been technological or artificial in origin. And I said to myself, haven't we learned something since the days of Galileo? Because uh, Galileo Galilei said, based on what I see through my telescope, it looks like the Earth may be moving around the sun. And uh, at the time, philosophers said, no, we know the answer. The sun moves around the Earth. The Earth is at the center of the universe. They refused to look through his telescope. They put him in house arrest. And the Earth continued to move around the sun. So my point is, you know, all that did was maintain our ignorance. We should have learned a lesson not to rely on arguments, but rather get data. And in the context of a more and more like objects, all we need is a close up photograph of the object or an object similar to it. Mm. What we need is to find an object on its approach to us that belongs to the same family of objects that looks weird, doesn't look like a comet or an asteroid, and then send the spacecraft equipped with a camera that will take a close up photograph. Because they say a picture is worth a thousand words. You know, in my case, a picture is worth 66,000 words, the number of words in my book. I would not need to write the book. Uh, I would just show the photograph. And once you have a high resolution image, you are done. And that's actually the purpose also of the Galileo project to, if there is an object uh, identified as a UAP, as an unidentified aerial (laughs) phenomena, then what we want to do is get a megapixel image of it and read off the label. Does it say made in country X here on Earth or made on planet Y far away from Earth? We want to read that label. And for that, you know, we can just use a a telescope that resolves that label. And it's not a philosophical issue. It's just getting the image. You know, it's very simple. That's all. So my point is, how do we get the image? We have to look. That's first thing. So people, you know, a lot of people, including most of the scientific community, ridicules the subject, dismisses it and says business as usual. My point is nobody should argue that getting more evidence is not helpful because the government says there are objects we don't understand. So all I'm saying is let's get more data about these objects. Why would anyone object to that? And by the way, I'm not taking money from any other scientific projects. This money came from another direction, from the private sector. Hmm. And so it will just, you know, the aim of this project, the Galileo project, would be to resolve this uh, 
uh, puzzle of what UAP are all about. What, what is the nature? And if we find that they are natural in origin, you know, that they are some uh, events in the atmosphere or some objects that were produced by humans or, or something else, you know, so be it we will understand something that was not understood before and that advances our knowledge, you know, instead of speculating about what they might be. I think it serves a very important purpose because the public wants to know what these objects are. And um, if we find that Oumuamua is a hydrogen iceberg, a natural object, something that we've never seen before, made of pure hydrogen, which was a suggestion made in the literature, so be it. It would say that it's nothing like the rocks that we have found before in the solar system. So there must be nurseries making such objects at a very large abundance that we've never imagined. And so we learn something new about reality. So my point is getting more data is a win-win proposition. You always benefit from getting evidence about what you're talking about. And I just cannot understand why would anyone make negative comments about a project whose goal is to get more data. Yeah. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Last sure. time you were on after actually off the air, I said you should write a treatise on, uh, you know, a critique on modern science because, I mean, you said that might not be a bad idea. And I think that when you look at what's going on, you mentioned all these people that are resistant to this idea. Well, it doesn't make sense because, like you mentioned before, science should serve the public and nobody's even really doing this. You're like the first person or the first, you know, scientist that we know of. I mean, who knows what goes on behind closed doors and the government stuff. They might have their own people. I don't know. But in terms of like the public and everything, I think you're the first person to really take a look at this stuff um, and put a lot of money towards the, this, uh, this idea of searching to figure out what these things are. Are they atmospheric? Are they natural? Are they possibly something like you said something from somewhere else or some sort of von neumann probe you know some non-manned or non you know some sort of ai technology from somewhere else i mean that's exactly no so i i want to emphasize that well first of all we don't want to make the mistake that the philosophers made during the days of galileo that's why we called it the galileo project hmm. but the, the second point is to recognize that you know artificial intelligence systems you know we already have systems driving cars, you know, and within 10 years, these systems will decide about medical procedures for people, you know, they will replace doctors, they will do a, a lot of things. So you can imagine uh, another civilization more advanced than ours that sent AI systems into space. Uh, and the, those AI systems are just like kids, you know, you can basically educate them at a young age uh, so that they learn uh, from what you tell them. Uh, you give them the guidelines, the, the blueprint of how to interact with the world and what their goals should be. And then you send them out and they become autonomous. They operate on their own. They don't need to ask you again, especially because the distances between stars are so great that there is no time for them to hear guidance from whoever sent them. And um, just like kids, you know, you send them to the world and then they, they are smart enough to learn and to operate by themselves. And mm. I think that makes a lot of sense. And then an AI system that is equipped with a 3D printer could potentially replicate itself and it could survive the long journey through interstellar space. So if you imagine a technological civilization that predated us, let's say by a billion years, and most stars formed 
you know, billions of years before the sun. So just imagine one such civilization within a billion years. That's plenty of time to basically populate the entire galaxy with probes mm. that replicated themselves. Yeah. There is plenty of time to do that. So is that the reality we live in? We don't know, but we need to look out in order to find out. It's, it's not a matter of us deciding that there is nothing out there. Uh, we need to find out, learn from looking whether we are alone, whether there is a smarter kid on the block. Yeah, I like your approach too. You're not you're not saying this or that. You're just saying let's look, and everybody's kind of giving you resistance, which doesn't make any sense. But I guess that's the world we live in. Well, it's you know my approach. I maintain my childhood curiosity, so I behave like a kid. If you, uh, uh, in a way, uh, you know, adults tell kids this is the truth. Okay, mm-hmm. and the kid says, I don't believe you. I want to figure it out <laughs> myself. You know, yeah. and so the kid often gets uh, bruised and runs into obstacles, but in that process, the kid learns something new about reality that the adult may not know, actually. And um, I think science is this privilege of behaving like kids because, you know, you don't need to pretend when you do science, you don't need to pretend that you know the answer in advance. Unfortunately, a lot of people want to boost their image and they pretend they know more. But science is a learning experience. You're trying to interact Uh, by experiments with reality, learn something new. And especially when something looks unusual, like UAP or like Oumuamua not looking like a comet or an asteroid, that should be exciting. That's an opportunity to learn something new. But instead, my colleagues say, oh, it looks anomalous, but it's still a rock. It's natural. Business as usual. Forget about it. Don't even talk about anything exotic. We need extraordinary evidence before we even consider other possibilities. And I say, if that's what you're saying, you will never collect evidence because you say it's always whatever I thought before. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You, If you don't search for unusual things, you will never discover them. Hmm. So you mentioned earlier the UAP report. We did a whole episode on it, went through it kind of page by page. It's only nine pages. Um, they supposedly have a... Um, a uh, classified versions too that has more information and data in there. Uh, is that something that the public or public scientists ever are privy to, or is that something that's all internal? Well, um, you see, I, this question was posed to me as to whether I might want to have a look at the, the classified information. And my response is I prefer not to know because it will tie my hands in a way. I, you know, the government, uh, then would worry that even if I collect, assemble, open data later on, I could be biased subconsciously right. by what I know. So I prefer not to know and just collect new data, you see, because the old data may not be of the quality I want. Sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, why worry about it? Um, you can just, I mean, science is about reproducibility of results. The government says there are objects we don't understand. I say as a scientist, okay, let's figure them out. And um, that's what we plan to do in the Galileo project. Basically, buy off-the-shelf instruments and look at the sky and see if there is anything unusual and figure it out ourselves, you know, from our own data. I think that's a better approach than worrying or obsessing with past data, Mm. part of most of it, uh, which is uh, classified. Now, the one thing that is, intrigues me is that people that had access to this classified information, 
like former CIA directors, Brennan and Woolsey, and the former President Barack Obama, and many other uh, people that had the high-level uh, positions, they all talk about it seriously. They say it's a serious matter, uh, the objects look real, and it's really puzzling. And to me, that indicates that you can't just dismiss it. You can't just debunk it, as some people do, saying, oh, I can figure it out myself. Because the point is that the evidence we have public that is publicly released is just the tip of the iceberg. So all these debunkers, basically what they are trying to say is that these serious people that we trust otherwise, that saw the classified information, do not know what they are talking about. You know, when you are debunking the tip of the iceberg and you are claiming the iceberg doesn't exist, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. You should be modest enough. You should be humble and say, okay, this is the tip of the iceberg. Doesn't look convincing to me. But there are some people that saw a bigger chunk of the iceberg right. and they tell me that the iceberg exists. So how, you know, <laughs> I shouldn't dare to dismiss the existence of the iceberg just based on the tip that I see. Of course, the tip may not be impressive. Right. Well, I mean, you make a good point here too because let's say they knew something or they know something more than what they're saying and it's actually pretty good evidence. You would still need science to come in and confirm that or uh, present it in a way to present to the public because... Let's face it, there's going to be a lot of people out there that still will deny it. And it's actually, it would be a huge paradigm shift. And I think there would be a lot of people that wouldn't know what to do with that information. Yeah, I mean, the fundamental uh, question with respect to UAP is, uh, are they human-made or natural mm. versus are they extraterrestrial? Okay, so that's the fundamental. Now, if they're human-made, then they represent a major failure of the intelligence agencies because it means that another nation produced technologies that we haven't anticipated, we haven't understood. And, and so that's a major national security concern, okay? And I'm, I'm pretty confident that the government thought about it. And the fact that it goes to Congress and says, we don't, we can't figure it out means, as far as I'm concerned, you know, that it it's probably not, uh, tech, uh, you know, if these objects are indeed real, they probably cannot be uh, the result of uh, some equipment produced by other humans. Now, it's possible that there are some atmospheric phenomena that we've never understood, okay? Hmm. And um, for that, we need better data. And that's what uh, the Galileo Project aims to do. And you do it by elimination, right? So just like a detective, like Sherlock Holmes, you know, he would put all of the possible explanations on the table mm -hmm. and then rule them out one by one. And whatever remains, however unlikely, must be the truth. So if you rule out human-made, suppose we get future data with the Galileo telescopes, okay? And we can rule out that it's human-made because... We don't have technologies to produce such such object. Right. And then we rule out the possibility that it's atmospheric based on observations uh, with the telescopes in the optical band and then infrared observations and then radio uh, or radar observations and all kinds of additional data implies that it cannot be atmospheric. 
that you know it's something it, 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 these are real objects um, so we rule out uh, those possibilities at that point it becomes you know real that, that they might be of some other origin and you know we have to try and figure it out how much coverage will all these sensors and telescopes have like where will you be searching for them are you going to look in the areas where there was all these sightings off the coast of california and off the east coast i mean obviously out west it seems like there's a lot more sightings near the desert and the coast than more than i guess chicago's got a decent amount and the east coast has some too but where will you be looking for these well that's an excellent uh, question and the fundamental question here is whether it's a selection effect that these are the areas that were patrolled most often and as a result these are the areas also that have a lot of technological activity that is human made you know in them and uh, we don't know um, and all we can do is um, distribute the telescopes in many different locations and the more telescopes we have the better is the information that we will get and that's why I'm very very hopeful. I, I very much hope that more funders will come along and increase the level of funding that we have from two million to maybe ten or more million dollars, because that would really allow us more than a hundred telescopes that we can put in many locations. So the more telescopes we have, the better we can address your question, because we can place them in different places. We can collect much more uh, data. You know, it will be videoing the sky. We're basically. Right video images of the sky, but we want to cover as much sky as possible. Can anybody donate? Do you have like a donate button on your page or anything <laughs> like that? Uh, okay, so um, we're in the process of um, establishing a mechanism for crowdfunding, which mm. is a little more challenging. Right. Uh, but uh, anyone with interest to donate more than $50,000 should approach me directly and, you know, through my contact email. Hmm. Uh, A-L-O-E-B at cfa.harvard.edu uh, and um, then I, I can guide that person as to how to proceed. Uh, so high uh, large donations, we have a special path to follow. Uh, with crowdfunding, we haven't yet established, but we hope to do so. Yeah, because I, I think there would probably be a lot of people that are interested in this that donate to other things, even uh, things that aren't as... Um, pro productive or efficient, I guess, you know, like people are donating to things now that aren't really giving them any answers. So I think that something like this would probably be more beneficial if you actually are looking for answers. Um, we would so, be grateful to anyone. Yeah. Uh, is there anything, did you read the nine page report, the UAP report? And was there anything in there other than just these anomalies that they can't explain that piqued your interest? Was there something in there that you saw that maybe led you to believe that um, this is a worthy, more worthy cause than you thought about before? Yeah, the most important statement that I found in the report was the admission that some of the objects must be real. Uh, and that's based on the fact that they were detected by multiple sensors, multiple instruments. Uh, uh, some of them were detected by infrared uh, sensors and optical cameras and uh, also radar systems and, uh, you know, m multiple people seeing the same thing, doing the same thing. So altogether, this uh, statement is extremely significant because if you listen to the debunkers, 
which dominate the media, by the way, right? Uh, they often say, oh, maybe it's a smudge on the camera. Maybe it's a malfunction of the instrument. Maybe it's uh, some other thing that was misunderstood. And the report says that they believe that some of these objects are real. Now, of course, it's a mixed bag. And of course, most of the reports from the past of unidentified phenomena may be explained by mundane explanations. But my point is, we just need one object. That's all. Right. One object of extraterrestrial origin for this to have a major impact on society. And even if most of the objects have mundane uh, explanations, that doesn't say anything uh, because we need to clear up all of them. Okay. And what the Galileo project will do is uh, collect evidence without uh, any preference for the type of object, basically collecting blindly ev uh, data from the sky so that we, it's just like a fishing expedition where you, you throw the hook and you are not anticipating mm -hmm. any particular type of fish. And the data would be of high enough quality for us to catch any fish that shows up. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, when I think about this stuff, too, obviously, you know, the normal public, we like to speculate and, uh, you know, give our own take on what's going on. Uh, but you make a good point, too. Like, let's not jump to conclusions. Obviously, like you said, science is all about data and observation, and you're not going to jump to any conclusions. And I think that that's kind of the, uh, the, the bird's eye view that we need on this topic. What about like other things though too? Like our government like has satellites and these satellites can zoom in crazy amounts. And um, is that something to think about in the future too? Is potentially looking at these things because I mean, who knows what again what they have and how clear their pictures are. But if we did have a satellite looking for these things, I would imagine that it's probably pretty efficient, right? Yeah, that's what I would think. But satellites are much more expensive. Right. So if I had the you know, ten, uh, hundred times more money. Somebody listen out there. If you're if you're a billionaire, let's get this going. Yeah, this is this is what we need. Elon, know? if you're out there, <laughs> yeah. I know you don't believe in aliens, but let's get you in the let's get you in that realm. We know he's we, tuned we, into we, Mike and Maurice too right now. He's not working. He's listening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we equip uh, any of the existing satellites or future satellites with uh, appropriate cameras, and you know, we could get quite useful data. And of course, there are. Uh, U.S. government owned the satellites looking down, but uh, as I said, the, the data is classified, and I prefer not to get uh, engaged, not not to uh, look at that data, because it would limit what I can say, it would limit what I can explore mm -hmm. with uh, open data, and uh, yeah, so the private sector can help us a lot, and if there is any wealthy individual that is interested i think that would be a fantastic opportunity i mean looking down you can cover a large chunk of the earth much more effectively than uh, with telescopes on the ground absolutely uh another main part of your team i believe i saw in the video is it frank lichen is that how you pronounce his name uh, Loiken, yes. Loiken. uh so and he's an astrobiologist correct what would he what's he going to be doing for the project like what's he going to be contributing yeah, uh, even though he was, uh, he is uh, interested mostly in astrobiology, uh, he's um, particularly excited about this uh, uh, project, Galileo, the Galileo project. In fact, he, he co-founded it with me. 
uh, after reading my book. So he came to the porch of my home to ask some questions about my book and was very excited uh, by the vision that uh, I described about uh, a scientific exploration of the nature of objects near Earth. And, and we established this project together. And um, he's also planning to contribute to this uh, project. He's the CEO of Brooker Corporation, which uh, is a major corporation for producing uh, instruments, uh, scientific instruments. Okay. Uh, so he is very engaged in uh, the research team right now. Uh, he's a member of the research team, and we have many other members that you can find on the website. And um, yeah, he's just a member of the team like everyone else, um, even though you know he is uh, a, a very accomplished businessman. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and actually, it might come in handy if you were to find something right biological at some point or something related, but to oh, buy. Oh, I think I think it's very unlikely that if we find anything from an extraterrestrial origin that it has biology in it or some creatures, because such things will not survive long journeys. If you want to send, what about tardigrades though? Because they, I mean, I know that they're not intelligent, but they they can survive, right? The vacuum well, of space. Well, not, not, uh, not much longer than a million years. You see, what you need across, uh, if you want very long, uh, I mean, a million years would allow you to move with chemical rockets mm. across a distance of 100 light years, which is roughly 1% of the size of the Milky Way galaxy. So you need uh, something to survive 100 million years, you know, and, and uh, as far as we know, life, is not likely to survive 100 million years under the harsh conditions of space. That's really difficult. Uh, so it's much, it makes much more sense to send equipment. And by the way, artificial intelligence could be far better than natural intelligence. We already know that, you know, uh, that right. driving cars uh, could be much more reliable than taxi drivers. Yeah, I mean, like we discussed earlier, von Neumann probe idea and artificial intelligence kind of, you know, that's where we're headed, right? So, I mean, exactly. something was so much more advanced and it's similar. I mean, I guess we would have to uh, wait and see. Um, but yeah, I mean, we and can... By, by the way, it will be, if we find something, it will be a view at our own future, so to speak, because they predated us. They created something that, you know, if we were to be left alone, we would create in our future. So by finding equipment, from more advanced technological civilization, you can get a peek at our own future. And entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley should be very excited about it because it's a chance for them to leap into our future and make a lot of money out of it. Hmm. Yeah, and I, we know they like that. So that should be a, uh, a great incentive for them. Um, yeah, no, look, I'm, I'm really excited for this and uh, we really appreciate your time and coming on here and sharing all your uh, information and you know it's it's really it's really inspiring to see somebody that is at the level that you're at and still interested in these topics and um, I think we need more of that but uh, if we don't we still have you right so uh, just keep <laughs> just keep doing what you're doing and um, we'll we'll keep we'll keep uh, chipping away ourselves and you know like we're well, interested I'm, in you know I'm happy to say that uh, you know even though I advocated for that over the past six months on my own now I have a team of fifty people. Right. Yeah. So uh, if it keeps growing like that, we eventually it will become mainstream within the coming years. So just wait and see. Well, if you need a photographer, you can strap me to a rocket. <laughs> yeah, Maurice is a f professional photographer, so I know he appreciates some of this stuff. Uh, okay. But yeah, again, 
Thank you so much for coming on. I also too, I'll put the link down below. Check out Avi's book, Extraterrestrial. It came out earlier this year, so go please check that out. It's a great book. Um, and uh, thank you so much for coming on. And I have no doubt we'll probably have you on again in the future. So, thank you for hosting me. Yeah, no problem. Everybody, everybody stay safe out there. We love you. Again, if you're interested, you can head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast for just $2 a month. You'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. We did one with Avi last time he was on. Uh, so go check that out. And uh, again, thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch you next time. And everybody stay safe out there. We love you. Peace. Peace.